Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tortoise. Hello, it's Giles. James Harding is away, so I'm in the editor's chair today. You're listening to us on the brand new Tortoise newsfeed. You'll still get this podcast every Monday and Friday, but you'll also be able to listen to our other news podcasts all in one place. It's Monday the 4th of December. From Tortoise, welcome to the news meeting. With the collapse of the ceasefire, the hostages and the people of Gaza are once again caught in the crucible of war. The IDF has been warning Gazans in parts of Khan Yunus to leave and head to designated safe zones. The president of COP28 declaring a new deal that aims to dramatically reduce methane emissions over the next five years. Rescuers have found the bodies of 11 climbers after the Merapi volcano erupted in West Sumatra on Sunday. We can't get enough of the pandas. The UK's only giant pandas have left Edinburgh Zoo. They're returning home. To China. I don't know if I'll ever see pandas again, to be honest. So I think they're, they're so lovely and so gentle and calm. I'm joined today by Tortoise's political editor, Kat Nealon. Hello. And by Tortoise's reporter, Will Brown. Hi. And we're also joined today by Remy Adikoya, politics lecturer at the University of York and author of It's Not About Whiteness, It's About Wealth. Morning, everyone. Now, you're each going to tell me what you think Tortoise should be covering, and then I'll decide which story should lead the news. I should say that, of course, we are roughly six weeks into a war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. That is the big story. It is, in a sense, the big story every day. But we're not necessarily going to be covering that today. We are asking what should lead the bulletin. And the principal criterion there is that it should be new. There are incremental developments, of course, in the Israel-Hamas story. and We will cover them in other formats. But if you don't hear about that particular story today, that's why. Anyway, in a single sentence, please, each of you, tell me what your story is about. Kat, do you want to go first? Sure. Mine is the unpopular populist. I think I can guess. The fellow who thinks he's a celebrity. Will, what's yours in one sentence? Uh, Mine is, who needs enemies if you have friends like these? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Mystery. And uh, Remy, what's your story in one sentence? Mine is, Kestamer confident enough of winning the election that he's not afraid of enraging the left of his party by praising Thatcher and of depressing voters by saying Labour won't turn on the spending taps, which can be tantamount to spending cuts. Right. Remy, let's start with your story. 
So yeah, so it's Keir Starmer um, uh, causing a storm. Um, he had an article in the Sunday Telegraph um, uh, praising Thatcher, where he talked about how she unleashed the entrepreneurial spirit of Brits. And there's been some um, uh, pushback to that among some on the left who are quite upset with that. So I, I found it interesting that, that he would do that because obviously he must know this, you know, um, um, anything um, uh, praising Thatcher is going to enrage the left of his party and probably also potentially enrage some uh, voters on the left as well. So I was quite, I found it quite interesting that he did that. He's going to have a speech uh, today for the Resolution Foundation where he's going to say nobody should expect Labour to turn on the spending taps, uh, as quoted um, uh, in The Guardian, which can be a tantamount to laying the groundwork for you know, preparing people for actual spending cuts, most probably, uh, which is an interesting sort of um, uh, thing to do before an election, you know, months before an election. So I found that interesting. And also he's going to say in the speech, um, uh, emphasize that what he says is going to be the absolute priority for Labour under under his um, premiership, as probably he expects, is uh, focus, absolute focus, he says, on productivity growth and on wealth creation. Um, so he almost sounded like Liz Truss, you know, actually. I mean, yeah. that's the kind of stuff Liz Truss was saying. So I find it also interesting that he, he's going in that direction. And I'm sort of wondering, you know, how much of this is down to, you know, some kind of electoral strategy and how much of it is down to simply, you know, perhaps what he really thinks about the direction in which Britain needs to go. So I think that's all um, quite interesting. It is. What, Remy, what is your assessment of the level of risk that he's taking here? I suppose, in a sense, it comes down to... Where else the left might go if they feel take, so taken for granted, so affronted that they want to go elsewhere? Is there anywhere else? Uh, probably not. And I think that's what he's banking on. Um, and there's always these tensions um, uh, within the Labour Party between, you know, sort of, you know, the left of the party and let's say the centre of the party. And when Corbyn was in charge, I remember when the centre of the party would be complaining about some of Corbyn's policies, you know, the momentum, the people from momentum, etc. The response was usually, well, if you don't want to vote for us, go vote for the Tories. Yeah. And I think that's actually what Stammer's people are saying now to the left of the party. You know, well, if you don't want to vote for us, go vote for the Tories. Um, so, I mean, so like I say, you know, that um, uh, does definitely smack of a certain, um, uh, you know, confidence, you know, perhaps even um, arrogance um, uh, to some extent, which I find quite interesting because, you know, we also hear that um, uh, people around him, you know, try to be careful and, and warn about not being complacent. But he definitely seems to be quite sure um, uh, those to the left, you know, on the left of Labour and also, you know, leftist voters um, uh, don't really have anywhere else to go. So I think he's clearly banking on that. Yes. So the actual words that he wrote in or his ghostwriter wrote in the Sunday Telegraph, uh, amongst others, it was a sort of standard length op-ed, where Margaret Thatcher sought to drag Britain out of its stupor by setting loose uh, natural entrepreneurialism. entrepreneurialism. In the same paragraph, he credited uh, Tony Blair. And in a sense, it was a very Blairite paragraph, wasn't it? Bracketing Thatcher and Blair together, as, as many people often do, as the sort of uh, terrible twins or magical twins, whatever you want to think of it, who who did um, pull Britain out of its funk in the 70s. Um, I mean, do you share that? Do you think maybe we're making a bit too much of, of one reference to Thatcher or, or is this a very knowing game that he's playing? I'm just, you know, surprised, you know, why he, he would sort of do that. I'm sort of trying to figure out, you know, I mean, does he think, is is he hoping of winning some conservative voters or some voters who, who like Thatcher? You know, I mean, is that sort of the game plan? Um, 
perhaps? Or is he simply trying to present himself as this, you know, leader who's going to sort of, you know, rule from the center and who is focused indeed on wealth creation and productivity growth, <clears throat> which is not usually the kind of thing, at least, you know, not since Blair, which labor leaders have tended to emphasize. Mm. So perhaps that is simply what he thinks is most important right now. And, and, and that's why he's decided to go with that. Kat, what do you make of all this? Labour is very, very cautious. And actually, what I would say, I, I slightly disagree with Remy's interpretation about the spending um, announcement that he's making today as part of this speech, which I think is kind of part of a wider strategy that Labour has been deploying about being very, very cautious and not allowing there to be any kind of gaps between them and Conservatives when it comes to spending and taxation, because they know that the Tories will go absolutely hell for leather as soon as they find any kind of opportunity to say, well, you can't trust Labour with, with the economy uh, because traditionally Labour has has been seen as as not so uh, so trustworthy or so, so responsible when it comes to uh, tax and spend. Um, and they are conscious that the people they need to win over are people that might be traditional Tories or at least give them sufficient kind of comfort that they're not going to tank the economy that uh, Tory voters don't yeah. come out. One more thing, Kat. Is there a turnout risk for Labour? We were talking with Remy earlier about whether the left had anywhere else to go. Of course, they can stay home, can't they? Is that a big risk? As you know, Giles, we've been doing this big uh, Labour podcast and I've been speaking to a lot of Labour strategists. Eight years hard and- Labour. Essential listening. <laughs> yes. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I've been speaking to a lot of Labour strategists and, and uh, uh, people that had kind of worked around Starmer before he even became leader. And the thinking on that was that the the, uh, the scale of the Labour left component has been vastly overestimated or was during the Corbyn years. And actually, um, it really only makes up about a quarter of the membership. Um, and we all know that sort of voters generally are... Uh, tend to be less extreme than the members on, on, on either sides of the political parties. So... Of course, there is a chance that the Labour left will stay home. And with the sort of stance that has been taken on the Israel um, Hamas conflict, there is also a sort of growing sense that there will probably be some people that are particularly exercised about that who are staying home. But they believe that it is a small minority and it is in constituencies where Labour has such a stronghold already that it might reduce the majorities that people have, but it is not going to hugely change the electoral uh, sort of mathematics. Mm. Um, so, you know, you have people in cities, for example, who maybe have a majority of 24,000. That may be sort of scaled back to about 20,000 because of a combination of some of these things. But it's not going to uh, affect the, the sort of number of people actually being returned, the number of MPs actually being returned. And what Starmer and his team have been trying to do is is um, improve, increase the breadth of appeal and not just right. the depth of appeal. It's all a sign to me of how very serious and granular and data-led they're being about this. Anyway, um, Will, I want to be very personal. Uh, You are the youngster among us. By my calculation, (laughs) uh, Thatcher was out of power before you were even born. I may be wrong about that. (laughs) But what does the mention... Isn't that true? Uh, No comment. I... I... (laughs) Okay. Um, What... For someone of your generation, let me put it like that, 
What does the mention of the word Thatcher in political discourse on the centre-left do to you? I, I, if I could play devil's advocate for a second to, to Remy's point, I would say that this whole thing smacks a little bit of the kind of the tribalism we see on the left. Even making any kind of reference to her is kind of, te- in a positive way, is completely taken out of all context and treating her in a positive light as uh, as awful it kind of it just smacks of just how divided we are as a society today great let's move on to will's story will you're pitching an assassination attempt i am indeed so for well for for obvious reasons the the utter horror of what's going on in gaza is dominating the headlines uh, as it should be but i'd like to look at something that has slipped by most people And it's something which will likely have very far-reaching consequences for the world's most populous democracy and the world's most powerful democracy, namely India and the United States of America, uh, who have, in recent years, been growing ever closer in an attempt to counter China. There are several cardinal rules in diplomacy. And one very important one is you don't go around assassinating the citizens of your friends and allies. No one comes out of that looking very good. Um, Well, last week, US prosecutors accused an Indian official or, uh, inverted commas, a senior field agent of directing a plot to assassinate a prominent Sikh separatist leader living in New York. They then charged a 52-year-old Indian man with a plot to kill at least four Sikh separatists uh, across North America. The man who is arrested is called Mr. Gupta, and as far as we can tell, he had some links to heroin and cocaine dealing uh, before this incident, and US prosecutors are alleging that he was hired by the senior field agent to run a hitman squad. There could be many hitman squads, but he was hired to run one hitman squad in, in North America. Now, he was arrested in the Czech Republic. We're not exactly sure what he was doing in the Czech Republic, whether he was meeting someone there, whether he was in transit there, whether he was trying to escape there, but he was arrested there. And the assassination of another Sikh leader in June in Canada, uh, Hardeep Singh Nijar, who was gunned down in a car park outside a Sikh temple in British Columbia. Well, well, the US accusations from last week are all linked to this case. It's all inextricably linked. They're one and the same. Now, the, the, the context behind all of this is that Narendra Modi's Hindu nationalist government are getting increasingly worried about Sikh separatist movements in the Punjab region. Uh, while the independence movements are basically non-existent in the Punjab itself, there's quite a strong kind of so-called uh, Khalistan movement in the wider Sikh diaspora, which has developed in part because of the extremist rhetoric coming from the Hindu nationalists who, who, who are dominating India's public discourse. Now, after the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, accused India of killing a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil, India went on a kind of diplomatic media warpath. Uh, the Hindu nationalist media and social media trolls went mental. They basically pushed out all these government lines about about how the grand... Which were Nare- what? Well, it's basically about how the grand Narendra Modi had humiliated the sniveling little Trudeau. And there was this huge but wait, diplomatic... Wait, did they deny that? Did... They denied it utterly and completely, and they said it was a fabrication. There was this huge diplomatic row, and India withdrew uh, many of its diplomats from Canada and basically stopped all visa services for Canadian citizens. So, so I think what you see here is you saw the rising might of one of the world's new great powers pushing a smaller Western power around, namely Canada. And at the time when Canada was raising this criticism against India, 
uh, the US and the UK and other Western allies basically threw their hands up at the time and said, this isn't our fight, Canada, sorry, you're important to us, but India's probably a bit more important. That was basically the sum total of what they were saying. But now you've got a different situation where you've got exactly the same accusations being made by the US, and it's much harder for Washington to brush those under the carpet. And I think you'll notice if you look at the Indian media, if you look at the Indian denials coming out right now since last week, you'll notice a very real difference in the way India is reacting to the news. It's much more neutral. If not deferential, it's a bit more uh, it's a bit more respectful. Um, and I think that the, the, the fundamentals of all this comes down to this, that, that, that this diplomatic spat, if it's not sorted out quickly, if some ground rules aren't laid, could have consequences everywhere from uh, Russia and Ukraine to China and the Pacific and defence deals between Delhi and DC. So just in brief, the possible connection uh, to Russia-Ukraine is that if the US-Indian relationship is allowed to sour just because of this, then it makes it even less likely that the Western allies will get India on side against uh, Russia in relation to Ukraine. India, of course, being the the main buyer of discounted Russian oil so far, and unapologetically so. Yeah, is, it, that, is it, that what we're talking about? It, exactly. So, if you if India and the US are trading barbs around assassination of uh, assassination attempts and hit squads on US soil, if they're trading barbs about that, it makes kind of cooperation on other really important things, ranging from climate change to 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 China to uh, uh, India buying discounted Russian oil, it makes negotiations on that much more much more problematic. Um, Remy, thank you very much, Will. How important do you think this story is, Remy? I think it definitely is important. I'm just trying to um, imagine now just how badly the State Department is going to want, you know, this story to go away uh, because of India's um, strategic importance, as Will has mentioned, especially, you know, in, in, in everything going on with China, etc., uh, so I'm really curious, actually, you know, how, 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 you know, how this, you know, investigation, as you said, I think you said it was the FBI that um, that's investigating the case. Will? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's really interesting about this whole case is the assassination, the alleged assassination plots happened in June at the same time as Modi was on a huge kind of almost regal like state visit to Washington. But in the background, these plots were, were allegedly going on. Kat, a murder plot uh, in another country. Um, I was reminded as as Will was um, uh, talking through his story about um, the uh, response from the UK to the Skripal poisonings and how Theresa May corralled um, multiple uh, allies um, and there was a sort of mass expulsion of Russian diplomats slash spies, not just from the UK, but multiple countries. Um, and the fact that there has been very little response to this internationally um, it just goes to show you a how strategically important India is as, as discussed you know we're trying to get trade deals and other people obviously see them as, as very important as well um, and b you know what that then means in terms of impunity are, are sort of a little watchword in tortoise because if if India, which is a democracy, we must remember, and therefore we kind of tend to think that democracies behave in a different way to autocracies and dictatorships. Um, if they are able to sort of get away with this behaviour in, in one territory, what's to stop them doing it elsewhere? Right. India, 
arguably the next China, now more populous than China, with a much younger workforce. Uh, so that re uh, commercial relationships for every country with India are extremely important. And it's really striking, of course, how uh, Modi is now used to getting away with pretty much anything on home soil. And the question is, can those acting in his name get away with murder abroad? We shall see. Um, Will, thanks very much. Let's take a moment and then we'll hear about Kat's story. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, I'm Giles Wittell, Tortoise's deputy editor. On the News Meeting podcast, we try to make sense of what should be leading the news with three guests who each pitched the story they think matters most. And once a month, we record a live episode in our newsroom. The next one is on the 27th of March, and I'm going to be joined by the brilliant author and podcaster Elizabeth Day. To come to the event and tell us what you think should lead the news, go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. That is tortoisemedia.com forward slash book. Kath, what have you got? So my pitch is the unpopular populist uh, who, as I think Giles correctly uh, identified, is Nigel Farage in the jungle on I'm a Celebrity, uh, reportedly for a record fee of 1.5 million. Um, and yet it's not quite going to plan. So um, there appears to have been some kind of boycott or maybe people are just not interested, whatever the whatever the reasons. The launch episode was down 2 million viewers on last year. Um, Farage doesn't seem to have been getting the airtime that he wants. He hasn't been being voted into the Bush Tucker trials. And he was complaining about this to some of his fellow contestants, because obviously, if you do these trials, although they are obviously disgusting and involve you eating testicles and, you know, whatever, putting your face in a box full of spiders and snakes, um, it gives you more screen time. And he was... Uh, clearly hoping that this would be a springboard for him to propel his uh, profile to an even bigger audience than it already is. Um, and yet it's not really working. Um, uh, and now there are sort of claims by allies that it's because of the woke producers trying to sort of hide him away. I have to say, if that were true, I don't think they'd be giving him £1.5 million pounds, uh, to hide him away. Now, the sort of the cheeky sort of this is two stories uh, packaged up as one pitch is that despite all this, there is still this live question happening within the Conservatives about whether he should be allowed back in um, and kind of what Rishi Sunak does about the Nigel Farage problem, because it does seem likely that Labour is is still heading for government and Rishi Sunak is struggling. There are polls out uh, on Monday today, saying that he is less popular now than Liz Truss. 
there are um, conservative home uh, which is a a conservative uh, blog that um, uh, polls conservative members once a month they do a a league table of all the ministers um, and he is at the bottom of it Um, and James Cleverley is also uh, fallen uh, significantly. James Cleverley, who Rishi Sunak made Home Secretary, picking up one of the most difficult um, uh, briefs about immigration. Um, And there is this kind of ongoing issue that Rishi Sunak has facing the right of his party. They don't believe that he is uh, doing what is necessary or, or what they consider necessary on immigration. They don't believe that he his heart is really in it. Um, and so they are looking to people like Nigel Farage um, as as a possible alternative. Let me ask. Let me ask you then, on a scale of one to five, where one is no chance at all of a serious leadership challenge on anyone's behalf between now and the election, and five five is is very likely, uh, and possibly with, with Farage. Well, he would have to join the party in the first place. But uh, give us your sense of of whether. We're actually in that territory again. I think this is more about when it comes to the polls, um, Rishi Sunak being seen as not having grappled with uh, immigration, which, let's not forget, has risen to record highs since the Brexit referendum, about him being edged out uh, in the red wall by reform and in the blue wall by the Lib Dems and possibly even Labour. And therefore, you know, this is more the sort of existential question about the future of the Conservative Party rather than will will um, letters of no confidence go in for Rishi Sunak. Thanks, Kat. So, Will, preposterous story uh, or is there something serious about it? Has, to, In your judgment, has Kat managed to make a link between the outback and contemporary <laughs> right wing politics in the UK? I, I think I think I think um, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with just just to say that I've I don't know what this program is. I've never watched it, and I don't care. I that should much explain about to it. viewers that Will uh, is a serious foreign correspondent who has uh, <laughs> never watched. I, I'm a celebrity. Get me out I, of here. Carry I, on. I, yeah, I've never watched TV. You know, I'm just. Uh, I look. I can't get the image of Matt Hancock's shiny uh, hot pants out of my head. I've watched it enough to remember that. That all that being said, I am, I am, I am. I, I think Cat has put that across in a very compelling way and drawn really interesting links to uh, the Tory leadership, which I hadn't really thought about. So, so I, I was interested by it. Fair enough. Okay. So now this is the part where I ask what you would choose to lead the news, but you can't pick your own story. Cat, we're going to start with you. I think that um, the impact of Starmer talking about Thatcher will be negligible on Labour's electoral uh, progress. And I think that the situation with India's hit squads is uh, sort of incrementally worrying and has the potential to become um, something quite big if it's not sort of addressed. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Will's story. Okay. Will, which story are you going for? I think I'll go with Kat's story because um, I think she put it across in a really compelling way and maybe think about things in a different way that I hadn't seen before. Thanks, Will. So, Remy, what do you think? Which story should lead the news? Uh, it will definitely be the um, uh, India story. India has um, uh, invited Joe Biden to its Republic Day parade, I think in January, to be the chief guest. And it'll be very interesting to see if he goes. 
um, if he goes, that would suggest that the U.S. is, you know, does consider India so important that it might be willing to, you know, look the other way or sort of, you know, resolve this amicably. Um, if he doesn't go, that might be a signal to India that actually um, there might be, you know, some problems with the relationship along the way. So it will be really interesting to see if if Biden does make that trip to India um, uh, in January. We're going to have a drum roll tension. I'll start with the also rans and come to the top. I think the Keir Starmer story, I, I'm going to go with Kat's judgment that actually it won't make a huge political difference that he dared to mention Margaret Thatcher in an article in the Conservatives House Journal, the Sunday Telegraph. Um, I, th- I think it is fascinating how careful the Starmer operation is being with this Ming vase, which is the uh, potential election victory to which they're uh, moving. Um, we obviously have to wait and see whether the left takes such umbrage that they don't bother to vote at all. But there's nobody else uh, evident on the left for them to go to other than Labour. Um I think the Farage story is actually absolutely delicious. I think the schadenfreude there is unmatched in recent reality television. I've interviewed Farage and he's he is a pro. He's very personable. He flatters you by asking you questions about yourself. He's he's uh, I, I don't dispute the judgment that he and Boris Johnson are the leading conservative performers of their generation. But I don't think the fact that he's underperformed relative to his own expectations in a show that has a shrinking audience profile in this country puts it to the top. And therefore, even though it is somewhat hard to get a hold of, I'm going to go with the story of the murder plot by Indian operatives, alleged Indian operatives, in the United States at the time of a Narendra Modi state visit to the White House because it suggests that the wave of Hindu nationalism that Modi has created and 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 enlarged to give him two terms in power and which has left him almost unchallenged uh, across all walks of Indian life, not just in politics but in business as well. It's really striking uh, what he says goes and there's a sort of reverential approach to to his leadership, even though it is a democracy. Um, and, and now that impunity, if you like, is being tested elsewhere. And I think the outcome of this case will be extremely interesting to watch. So for that reason, Will's story leads it and... Cats and Remy's are very honourable runners-up. That's it for today. Cat and Will, thank you very much. Thanks, boss. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Remy, thanks for joining us, and thank you for listening to the news meeting. As I said at the beginning, this feed has become Tortoise News. You'll still be able to listen to the news meeting every Monday and Friday, but you'll also get our short daily news podcast called Sensemaker, which brings you one story every day to make sense of the world. And on Thursdays, you'll get Trendy, with John Curtis and Rachel Wolfe, a podcast all about politics, polls and society. In short, if you already follow this show, you'll continue to get this podcast and more. 
James will be back with another episode of the news meeting on Friday when he'll be joined by the Green Party MP, Caroline Lucas. And on Wednesday night, he'll be recording a special end-of-year episode of the news meeting live in front of an audience at the Tabernacle in Notting Hill. He'll be joined by ITV's political editor, Robert Peston, to discuss the biggest stories of 2023 and Peston's new book, Bust. You can still get tickets by going to intelligencesquared.com forward slash events. Tortoise. What comes to mind when you think of Amber Heard? A liar? A survivor? A narcissist? The trial of Depp v. Heard was a global phenomenon, but I want to know, was it a fair fight? I'm Alexi Mostris, the host of Sweet Bobby and Hoaxed. In my new podcast, I'm investigating whether Amber Heard was the victim of an organised trolling campaign. Just search for Who Trolled Amber wherever you get your podcasts.